and welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodically Not Rate Limited podcast. I cannot believe what a crap show Saturday was in Elon deciding to have the world's biggest meltdown on NHL Free Agency Day. Absolutely hilarious. Could not have happened at a better time. It was different, for sure. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately, whatever stops you from the endless refresh of timelines and news feeds and all that stuff is probably the best. So, ultimately, uh, it probably worked out for the best. I had more sunshine. I touched more grass, you know. Well, was, he wanted you good. to touch more grass. Huh? He, he, he talked about that. Although, here's the problem. Uh, I mean, obviously, it is, uh, it's probably better that we use less social media. I agree with you. But on a day like that, you, you kind of do want to know what the news was. I had a soccer game to call, so at a certain point of the day, I couldn't check my phone regardless. Uh, if there was ever a free agency class to have that's a you know, very signals good point. go down, this was it. I mean, there wasn't – I mean, it was like, who's going to sign Matthew Shane? You know, like it wasn't – I don't know. Like the – Bertuzzi, I guess, was a good one too, but obviously it didn't materialize on day one. Um, you know, there just wasn't that many big, big names. Like there was no Petrangelo, there was no, you know what I mean? There like, weren't any trades. Wasn't... Like all the trades were minor. No. And and there weren't any trades at the draft on night one, and you know all the other stuff was pretty minor. Um, yeah, so so congratulations, Elon. You picked the feels, best NHL free agency period to melt your own website down. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really want to spend time too much talking. Neither about- do I, although I will say I am on Blue Sky. I did get an invite code. Uh, good good stuff happening over there. I, I think I would just use this as a good way of getting getting off of it myself unfortunately in my business i can't really do that and i did end up using threads but that is a complete mess of whatever mark zuckerberg thinks you want to see rather than what you actually want to see and who you're following that's how twitter works my friend fix it and maybe you have a chance otherwise you've just created the worst of the instagram comment section and that's terrible I ended up starting literally a dummy Instagram account, like one I will never use for anything other than to see how long threads last, because it's become apparent to anybody who was on social media last night that if you want to delete threads, you also have to delete your Instagram. So if you linked the Instagram you may actually use to the threads account you might not use after, I don't know, two or three days. (laughs) Congratulations, everybody. God, all of these billionaires are awful. They all stink. Every yeah. one of them well, soaked the rich. I mean, everyone, and then everyone just runs and follows. So, like, the first thing everyone does is go starts an account. Like, how many people have, like, a Blue Sky, a Mastodon, uh, you know, a Threads account and all this stuff? And they just run all over. Um, but, you know, I don't know. God, enough talking about social media, yeah. because that, that is for the brain poisoned of us all. But I mean, welcome back, Dmitry Kulikov. Ah, We're yes. Happy to have you back. And I say that with no sense of irony uh, on the tongue. Uh, I mean, he still, I know he he's not as dynamic and high-end as a defenseman as you hope for, uh, when you draft 14th overall and 2009 was a a pretty solid draft, but you know, games played, they got a top 
10 pick. And on points, I think they, you know, for defensemen, they did pretty well. Um, and looking looking just back over the draft right now. They, got two, lob- they have two top 14 picks now on their roster. But, <laughs> yeah, OEL is uh, in this draft as well. So now they're stocking, stockpiling people from this draft. Uh, uh, but- only they had signed Calvin DeHaan. Okay, yeah. no, I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, before we get to this, can I promote one thing? I don't usually like to promote myself when we do these shows, but I do want to promote one thing. Um, I told you about it. Um, you all know I do another show. It's called uh, The Outfield Podcast. It's about out people in sports. And I just interviewed Yanni Puhaka, who is a former Finnish pro. He played for Chick Kutimi. I always pronounce that wrong. In the queue about a decade ago. He came out like three and a half years ago. A really cool person to interview and to talk to. I've wanted to do that interview for years. And I have to say, what a blast to interview him. And the scary thing is just how samey hockey culture is between North America and Finland. I don't want to spoil the whole interview because I want you all to go out and listen to it. It's on my Twitter. It's on my Blue Sky. It is not on Threads yet, but it will be soon. I sent you a link. You can, you can retweet it from Why Hockey. I hope you listen to it. I hope all of you listen to it because you're going to get a sense of what players like him go through in this sport. And it doesn't matter where in hockey you are. You still go through it, and what a incredibly talented player. He did that. It was his first real true English-language interview. So it was a lot, most of the ones he had done are in Finnish. Uh, it's perfectly cromulent, great interview. Speaks English almost perfectly. So it's a show I absolutely hope you all listen to. Uh, there's a little talk about Finnish hockey, too, and some of the players he played with when he was growing up. He's a, a few years younger than me. He's 28, so... He's right in that age range of the, like the, the elite Finnish players. So that's a really cool podcast I want you all to listen to. Now we could go back to talking about Dmitry Kulikov. Well, I mean, just happy he's back. Uh, I, for how long, who knows? Uh, he's likely brought in because he can play a little bit of the right side experience and everything. But he's turned into a pretty solid defensive defenseman, you know, like a, a specialist extra depth guy it's it's a fascinating time to talk about the panthers free agency period because as it was happening if you could see the tweets of what was happening you were going we were all going i know you were texting me back and forth okay what is exactly what they're doing here because it didn't come into focus until later and now that we're five days out from it i think my ultimate conclusion and i think you've come to a very similar conclusion is this I don't know if their ceiling is necessarily higher than it has been, but I think their floor might be higher, which considering how close they were to missing the playoffs last year, a higher floor is probably not a bad thing. And as a regular season team, I don't think they necessarily need a higher ceiling considering what they just did when they got into the playoffs. Well, I mean, on the trading day or signing day, I joked that it seemed like everybody got their left-handed defenseman that they were advocating for. Like all the little camps inside hockey ops, like came up with their like, oh, this is my bargain bin pick, and they all they all got. got That's a good way of putting it, actually. If you think Um, about the way the Panthers front office is structured, the (laughs) hockey men got their guy, the analytics people got their guy. Well, I mean, I I don't, I'm not, I don't. That's not how I'm just. I'm just saying that you know, like. Everybody would come, you know, because they have, you know, a diver- diversity of opinion. They would all come back with different answers to the solution. And they just decided, all right, we'll just get all of them. Um, 
instead of just picking out or trying to weed be, and and play games with you know two or three of them to see who you know who we can get signed, we'll just sign them all, and you know we'll figure it out when Montour and Ekblad come back. I mean mm-hmm. that might be through Christmas, so a, a lot can happen uh, until then. So you know you might not have to make a choice because another another defenseman gets injured or or what have you. You know, knocking on wood that that doesn't happen. So, uh, so let's go through all of them. We talked a little about Kulikov, but it's an interesting group that they've added. And I know some people dislike some signings more than others. If you've been following, uh, you'll notice that some people have some strong opinions. My strongest opinion is I don't think any of these signings are terrible. I don't think any of these signings blow me out of the water. But when you think about what they're doing here, which is essentially they want more depth and also they need guys to hold the fort while they're arguably their top two defensemen are recovering from injury. I don't think they've done a terrible job of it, particularly because outside of Mikola, they're all one-year bets and one year is perfectly acceptable for what they need to do at this time. Right, but I, I, I think that gets used to gloss over just a lot of questioning into decision-making and stuff. And again, you know, I would preface this by saying, you know, I'm not against what they did. I'm, I'm trusting in the process, whatever you want to call it. I'm trusting, trusting Zito, whatever. Uh, but I, you know, like there are some things like Mike Riley. I know he has, you know, good stats and some good metrics and stuff, and he's probably a decent player. But for me, that blocks out Carlson, I think, who's a similar type of player. Uh, and it's, you know, they have so many lefties as is, you know, they could have saved a million, a million there, but, you know, I understand in, in a vacuum taking a chance at at one year, one million on, on Riley. Yeah. And you, you had a really fascinating comparison to him uh, when you texted me on like, he has the great numbers anytime you see a, a you know a a card from Jay Fresh or Micah's heat maps or any of these places where we get our numbers they scan really well but there is a catch well, what's the catch the catch uh, is as you texted me um players like I this I should know that <laughs> you should know uh, you you compared him to one Patrick Weirkosh when when the Riley <laughs> signing yeah. was announced and I was absolutely floored because that is first of all an incredible remember some dudes pick I had not thought about Patrick well, Weirkosh in I how long. This is, a, this is a good time to uh, plug Puck Duco or whatever it's called. Oh, oh, uh, the Immaculate Gourd, I think, is or so what somebody calls it. Because it's the Immaculate Grid is the baseball one. I haven't done one yet, but the hockey version of it. Um, right, Sean, yeah. Sean and Ryan did one on uh, on Puck Soup, which I was listening to. And I went, oh, my God. That's, oh, that's the greatest thing that has been invented on the Internet in a while. It sounds yeah. great. Name some dudes in puzzle format. I mean, who among us doesn't love to name some dudes? Like, that is just... I know that there's a great Twitter joke that goes around about names of dudes and how, you know, it's kind of silly when you think about it. But for people like us, like, that's just fun. We have a lot of fun doing that. It's really cool to, you know, pull names out of, like, the depths of your mind when you're like, oh, okay... <laughs> Who, which Ottawa Senators, you know, defenseman also played 100 games for Florida or something? Who knows? I got Steve Shields, the goalie for uh, the Ducks and the Sharks. That's a, another uh, incredible pull. You know, I, I'm like, by the way, the, I just said Ottawa and Florida randomly defenseman. Philip Kuba was the first one I thought of, and uh, yikes. But 
anyway, the, the point I was making about Mike Riley is, and I think when I look at defensemen like that, and you pointed it out really great with the, with the text you sent me, it's that there is a reason why these players that have pretty good metrics don't end up sticking with whatever team. He didn't stick with Ottawa, speaking of Panthers, Senators, defensemen. He didn't stick with Boston, even though he got a nice contract. And, and there's a reason for it. And I'm not saying that Mike Riley is a bad player, but you, you talked about the kinds of, I think you said passing was the number one thing, like the breakout passing was the number yeah. one thing with that kind I mean, of like, defenseman. Yeah, like there's just some some defensemen who just don't handle pressure well and just, you know, they're just not going to be able to break out the puck. You know, they just have too many weaknesses or they don't just do some of the basic things at a basic enough level to to really stick at the NHL because they're not good enough maybe offensively to get those concessions from a coach. So when they met when they mess up and stuff, you know, it's back to the bench, it's back to the press box, et cetera, and then they eventually go back down. Um, you know, it's not saying that these players can't be good or don't make it. It's just that, you know, for for everyone that does, there's a bunch that don't. It's the same for high-scoring, you know, wingers or, or some players that have good possession metrics, but they just don't finish enough um, and don't maybe have the defensive value enough or, or, or handle physicality well enough to, to hang out in a bottom six. So they're kind of really good in the AHL. They put up some nice isolated numbers in the minutes that they play, um, but they don't get it done enough or they don't get lucky enough really sometimes to, to stick in the NHL. So, you know, like Riley's bounced around to a lot of teams, not saying he can't figure it out. But it's a little different than, you know, some guys in their 24, 25, 26 where, you know, there's still, you know, you can still kind of, I don't want to say, in, you can kind of picture the a little more runway left. You know who Mike Riley sort of kind of reminds me of? They might end up being kind of different, but their bad, profiles. Bad Mike Matheson? Bad Mike Matheson is one, but there's one defenseman on my mind that it very much reminds me of, and the Panthers just went through him in the playoffs. Justin Hall. Because he always uh, scanned well on the metrics, but there were always the turnovers, you know, as you said, the muffin passes, things like that. Yeah, mu- yeah. And this is the kind of player that I think the Panthers have possibly signed. Now, that's not to say that he can't overcome that or that the Panthers, you know, coaching staff, Sylvain Lefebvre, can't get something out of him because he got quite a bit out of Brandon Montour and he made Mark Stahl as tolerable as humanly possible for one year. So working with more raw tools, I, I would give the Panthers coaching staff the benefit of the doubt, but... For all that Mike Riley's metrics scan really well, that is the downside when you sign a player like that. And as you say, there is a reason why NHL teams don't stick with a player like that, even if everybody does analytics now. Everybody can look at the, you know, Micah's heat maps, Jay Fresh, Dom LeCision. They can look at all that and they can see the numbers. But there's always a reason why a player like that doesn't necessarily stick. And I think he'll be perfectly steady, you know, in the minutes he's going to have to play. And even when I think everybody's healthy and he might not play as much, he's better depth than Florida had defensively in recent years. I think that's obvious. Well, and I mean, and compared to last year, they didn't have the numbers. Like, just on this year, they can roster 22 or 23 
skaters this year um, versus last year where they sometimes didn't roster 18. Oh, they had at least six or seven games last year where they played a man short. Depending on how Maurice wants... I mean, we haven't seen Maurice with a full lineup. We just know him from running the same lineup, you know, playing pretty much what he had. If he's able to rotate these defensemen and if he's able to work them around, find chemistry in camp and stuff and, you know, cushion the impact of losing your two top right-hand defensemen and only or maybe only having left-handed defensemen, depending how camps go and if any righties can, you know, come up from the minors and win a job. But um, at the NHL level, it's all lefties. Which is incredible because you realize that we had been complaining for years about how the Panthers don't have, you know, those left-shot defensemen. And then Bill Zito, evidently listening to this podcast, uh, (laughs) whether he listens to it or not, who knows. But every time they do, we say something on the show, it happens. Not necessarily the way you expect. So on July 1, the Panthers are like, hey, you think we don't have enough left-hand shot defensemen? Here are all of the left-hand shot defensemen. How about that? And um, I want to go through with you what you think this is going to look like when Ekblad and Montour are out. I want to touch on that a little bit in a second. but And then I want to touch on what you think this looks like when everybody's healthy. So opening night, we know they're not going to have Ekblad and Montour. I just just want to speak to kind of just the overall signings real quick. That's surely, yeah, we should get to those. So so let's just start kind of with, uh, you know, Kulikov and Riley we've kind of talked about. But, you know, they're good. They're kind of the two you suspect that could get waived or would be the easiest to waive when bodies come back if they need to, you know, if it gets to that. Um, But they're both, you know... You know, I, I know I wasn't just talking very highly of Riley, but his assist numbers, you know, look pretty solid. I've seen him play good games. You know, he has a lot of NHL experience. Um, if he can just play simple and if the coaching staff can get him to play that way, he can he could probably be a very useful third-pair defenseman. And at that clip, he becomes a trade chip um, at worst, you know, so something to get like a fourth-round pick or whatever. You know, that would be decent. Um, and and at otherwise, at worst, it's more depth. And yeah, they need and, more depth. And, and you know, Kulikov, I think, has very good defensive skills, um, even though there are some weaknesses and the things. But he's going to be in a sh- well, likely a sheltered role. But they need guys who can play on that right side. And, and, I, and I think it's just cool that he's back. You know, it, it's – you it's talked about it Branson. off the top, too. It, well, it's much better than Eric <laughs> Branson. That is absolutely true. But I think just – you know, he never played on a good Florida... Okay, he played, he played on two good Florida Panthers teams. One... Yeah, and he, he was never the issue, even if he wasn't the solution that sometimes people wanted him to be. Yeah, but as you look at the 2009 draft, and as you look at, you know, the Panthers' front office at that point, I mean, yeah. to get one of the better players from that draft, you know, when there were players that had no success taken in front of them, you know, I... I we we've seen we've seen Luke Shen come back to Toronto and since he came back in a different role wasn't you know you know it was kind of like a a, a clean slate and he was able to become a fan favorite to the point that a lot of fans wanted him to be re-signed. Um, obviously, what Nashville gave for him uh, was was pretty hefty and no way Toronto was matching that even though they're willing to throw a lot of money over the salary cap at this point. Yes, um, they are. 
Uh, but, but, but I think Kulikov like just, just is it's hap- I'm I'm happy to see him back, even if yeah, you know he's he's good he's good enough for his role. Um, mm. You know, hopefully he can stick around the full season and just be an extra guy if if it comes to you know needing a seventh because this year they're going to actually carry a seventh defenseman. You know, I, and I want to talk crap. about this later a little bit more too. I think it's quite possible that we could see them be thirteen and eight as well this year. Like I, I think that's absolutely possible. The cap space is not going to be an issue. Well, yeah, it, especially since right now they're planning on keeping Ekblad and Montour off LTIR, um, but obviously they always have that in their back pocket if they if things come. To yes. It. So let's um, get to let's get to OEL because I actually yeah. had mentioned it on the podcast we did last and saying, did I think this would make sense? And it was the first signing they made. And when I saw that they did it, I thought to myself, okay, if any team can get the best out of somebody we think is possibly cooked, it's more than likely Florida. Because, as we talked about before, they have gotten the most out of defensemen who you thought were either A, not all that talented because you got them on waivers, or the Mark Stalls of the world who we strongly disliked and somehow they went to the Stanley Cup final with him. If you can tap into anything of what OEL was remotely at his peak, I don't think you're getting his peak again, but if you're able to tap into anything remotely resembling that skill set, he's probably going to have to play tougher minutes to start the year because of injuries, although maybe not. We have to see how Paul Maurice and Sylvain Lefebvre def- deploy them in a training camp, which will make it fascinating. But when this team's fully healthy... He's not going to be in a role where he's asked to do a crazy amount. And if you play him in the right role, if you give him the right partner, because it's a one-year deal, because it's somebody who is going to aggressively betting on himself and knows that he's coming to Florida not just to win, but to kind of rehab his career in some ways because he knows that he can do that. Blue liners in Florida have done that. I think it's a worthwhile bet. It might not have been the favored bet for most people following the team but I don't think it's a bad one if it doesn't work out he walks who cares and if it does work out you've gotten yourself a potentially decent upside player in a role that would fit him better than Vancouver and is an upgrade at what they would theoretically have had you know certainly in some cases recent years but also especially last year if Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. If it, if like yes, in a vacuum, everything you said is true. I my biggest concern with OEL, who I've been a big fan of all the time, and if this was five years ago, I'd be jumping up and down. Um, this is, you know, he could be good. His mobility is the biggest issue. If he's going to keep getting walked as he has like the last three years and plays as much as Stahl did, it's going to be a better version of Stahl, where he's going to be better with the puck, better when he activates and everything like that, but he's going to not be able to get back when he gets too far up ice and the puck gets on the other side of him. Um, and he's going to struggle you know, in, in some situations getting beat to the outside just by a lot of younger and faster guys these days. Um, if his, you know, and his, since his mobility is injury related, you know, it might, it might come back, you know, but it might 
not it might not be something he's able to get that strength back or that flexibility back or that um I guess range of motion with his hips and and his legs and his you know his ankles for his push-offs and stuff like that um and just the age-related decline in that as well he is but, only 31, so you yeah, but, you harbor a little bit of hope that some of it yeah. is not, obviously, it, injuries are, are there, but some of it you hope is, okay, he was playing on these garbage Vancouver teams. And they stunk. And now you're playing on a Florida team that's going to be better than that. They, I'm a, I, you know, he's friends with Patrick Hornquist, and, you know. By the way, Pan- congratulations on your retirement, Patrick Hornquist. Yeah. Please work for the Panthers in the future. You were awesome. Yeah, he was very good, especially in his prime, um, you know, cup winner. What what a great player he was. Helpful. Just a gnat to play against, you know. Somebody I, I wouldn't mind in a player development role and things like that, scouting. Any, any role he wants to have in the Florida yeah. Panthers, but I would give it to him. Getting back to Ekman Larson, I think, you know, it's a good bet to take, but the risk you have of being wrong is – you could you could take Ekman Larson out of the equation, put his money on Rodriguez, and you're at Bertuzzi. And you know if Ekman Larson does doesn't work out, you know is that you know there's other things you could have done, and whether it's Bertuzzi or a better defenseman, um, or I don't know if getting all of these defensemen signals they could not have gotten Hannafin and you know even if the price comes down a bit as the summer wages on they're just so far out of it they have to just move on or this is them biding their time or you know and they can always move move money out whether it's you know they have somebody in mind I don't know but it it feels like you're you're the risk of missing on OEL if it doesn't work out is you could you, since you're so close to the cap, it, that number uh, is enough flexibility to do a couple different things that they could have done um, differently, uh, and you'll always be able to you know Monday quarterback that if things go wrong. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say, and it's why I said I don't necessarily I'm not, I'm not think. Saying it's- no, no, you're but not. It, it, but I think for me, it's always come down to when you make signings like this, especially when it's also not just the guys, but the volume of them is, yeah, the risk is you could have reallocated that money to more high-end players if you wanted to. It, it's very likely that because, you know, if this, if the, I forget who put it out there that, you know, Hornquist kind of helps sell OEL on Florida. You know, if OEL is motivated and goes hard in the summer, rehabs or you know put you know trains really well and has that mobility, I I I, I fear is lacking. Has decent puck touch. He his season starts off really well because he gets power play time at the early part when Montour and Ekblad are out, um, and he's able to pick up a good puck touch and get a good you know head of steam going and. Five on five is protected, um, or you know, at least given a a, a role that he can succeed in, um, then and some decent matchups. Then you know, I think there's a real chance that this signing could be a home run. And that's like, you know, all the signings could be a home run. Some of the signings could be a home run. Some could 
just be average. You know, there's so many different possibilities when you sign that many defensemen and you're not sure how they're going to be used. Mm, let's go to let's go to option number 4 then because they signed another one uh in Nico Mikola. Now, who we're... I think is probably the closest to answering the question I had going into the offseason, which was who's this left-handed defenseman that they said they're going to add to the core to help with their run over time their continued run over time well he's the only one of the defensemen that got more than one year and and this is a defenseman that got basically a a similar deal to what forsling got when they realized hey this is someone that we want to be in our top four you know in some form um moving forward and you know similar to montour you know it's not as much as Montour, but I think, you know, Montour kind of had the higher athleticism and the stuff, you know, those finer points to get that little bump. But anyway, you know, Mikola is somebody who's, who fits the culture of the team, obviously with being Finnish, but not, but as being someone who's a good skater, who has that compete, who kind of fits that play style that they're more morphing into, you know, that they kind of started with Quinville, and it's kind of this, the new iteration is, you know, under Maurice last year and this year. Um, I think he fits that mold. He he fits that defenseman, tall, lane, rangy, athletic. He can skate. Um, Six and, four defenseman, by the way. Six four. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about rangy. That that's that's Fine, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's somebody that. If you were gonna dr- try to draw a line to oh copycat league, it's their answer to to kind of what they you see in some West Coast teams and and some certainly of what you saw with the Golden Knights. Yes, where the philosophy is, we're looking for guys who are six one, six four, some guys who are even taller, who can skate, who can pass, who can get into open ice, who know when to take a shot, know when to hold on to it. Um, you know, have some good IQ, uh, and you know they might not be high end in any area, but they're they're good in a lot of they're they're more than proficient in a lot of areas, and they work well together. Um, and you know, if you can kind of put that decor together, I, I see where Zito's going. I still think that there's room, there's the answer of who's going to be that right-handed guy. Because I, I don't know if you get Paul Maurice to go from I'm not putting guys on their offside at all to there's going to be six left-handed defensemen on the ice for yeah. two months, three months at a time. I mean, I, two out of three, like you'd think, you know, Benning or Kanunen, uh has a real shot or if there's a right-handed D on waivers, uh, they might, you know, pick one up. I'm not saying that they're going to go sign a guy next week or trade for somebody, but uh, I think around maybe the tra- tra- someone out of training camp might earn a, uh, an early look, or somebody off waivers might get claimed because Maurice wants a li- at least a little comfort there. So, yeah, let's talk about what you think about for pairings. Just firstly, to start the season, when we get to Ekblad and Montour returning, so we'll get to that separately. I, I think you got to start off with who's going to be playing on the right side. Who are the lefties going to be playing on the right side? Um, obviously, you have Forsling is going to be your number one left-handed defenseman. 
because he's the one that can eat the minutes uh, on that side. Mohoro's played right, and I think this is a good time to uh, motivate him and be like, hey, this is how you can step up and really take a larger role with the team. When the, when people get healthy, you know, maybe you you this is how you can get into that top four role, um, you know, by proving yourself in this capacity. Um, so that would be a guy I would look to play on the right side. Kulikov I talked about. Um, I also think Mike Riley's played on the offside. Um, and then, you know, OEL is the guy that maybe with his experience as probably played games or shifts there and and could I would think if you were going to have anybody of the the lefties play the right I mean Kulikov is definitely capable of doing it so I think that they would want I don't think they'd want OEL playing on his offhand because of everything that he's gone through I think they're going to try to give him the simplest role possible it depends I mean to me personally I mean I'm not ever going to be an NHL coach but if I was an NHL coach it depends like does he you know, some players tend to break out the puck more on one side than the other or on the forehand or the backhand. So setting him up in a position to skate into open ice and go to where he's comfortable would be my priority versus, you know, keeping him on left side because he's left-handed. But I, I, I just would have to look into it more. But I, I think you're right that, like, you know, for me, it's more like Mahora, Kulikov, like those are the main guys. Maybe Riley, maybe some a righty steps up there. Um, maybe uh, Montour comes back a little quicker than you think. Um, you know, who knows? It, it, of all the guys, I, who can play on the who? Which of the left shot is best to play on the right? I think you said Riley, which is probably the right answer here. If we're just looking at the six that are there right now, because yeah, I mean. Because there's Forsling and Mikola, who I would have staying on the left side. I Absolutely, you, I agree with you. You don't want to lose sight of anchoring the left side by just trying to patch up the right. So, you know, you want some consistency. You want some familiarity for when uh, the pairings go back and, you know, Montour and Eklo come back that, you you know, guys on the left who are comfortable with the left and can just keep going. Um, so those, so like then, you know, so then, you know, it's just, you know, anybody, but those two guys, I think are a candidate, but it's, I think it's going to be Kulikov and Mohora, but it could be anybody. I mean, that's the thing. They said they want competition. They brought in a bunch of left-handers. You don't know how they're going to deal with the, the temporal nature of the defense until they're healthy because we don't even know what the timeline is. They do. They at well, least have a better idea. They have a better uh, idea than we do, but I don't think they necessarily have an yeah, answer. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be something that's borne out in camp and I'm happy with that. I'm fine with that. My whole talk the last couple of years was I wanted to have more defensemen rotated in. I wanted to try different pairings. Uh, because just like forward lines, I think it's it helps to challenge your defenseman in that way. Um, and it helps to give a little competition for some guys. You know, it, I think just as much as Carlson needed AHL time uh, to get some a little more out of his offensive game and, and to maybe have a better shot of staying at the NHL when he gets called up, I think a little competition in the NHL 
and and having a little more carrot uh, that he could have you know earned some rewards and some ice time from uh, would have been just as beneficial and hopefully that's something that this year will happen. Of well, course, I mean, you also have with... it with somebody like, as you said, Kanunen, but probably Mike Benning. Like, there is a great opportunity for him out of training camp to yeah. earn a but spot opening to me, night. To me, Kanunen has the lead because he's played so many years in professional leagues. He's already done one full year in the AHL. Benning just got out of college. And there is, you know, as much as he's a really good offensive player, has a really good handle on the puck, sees the ice well um his skating's not the best especially the you know kind of the four-way mobility and stuff uh and also he's such a guy who is reliant on pace and timing i want i want him to adjust to pros a little easier than throwing him to the nhl minutes of course you know if he has the camp where he really wins it uh, you know, obviously that takes precedence, and you know, you you play him until it's you think it's starting to hurt his development. So, uh, so let's go and focus th- now yeah. on. Yeah, you're you're right. So let's go and focus now on. I think what it looks like when everybody's actually healthy. Now, Elliot Freeman on Thirty Two Thoughts said Christmas. I don't think it's possible to know. All the only guess I have is that it's not October, but they only have eight games in October. I'm I say January, February when people ask me. January, February. I think it could. It, there's really a wide breadth of answers. I think yeah. there's a chance. I think TBD. there's a chance one of them gets back in November. I do think there's a chance one of them heals a little faster. I, I mean, hopefully you get to the point where you get to the Thanksgiving break, you're in the playoff picture, and you're playing, you're carrying enough momentum where it's like, hey, everybody's playing up to to the standard that we need them to. We don't need to hurry guys back. That would be ideal. Oh, of course because, it would be. You know, the reason you get depth is so you don't have to play Barkov, Kachuk, you know, Ekblad, Montour and stuff all the way, Verhage, so hard down the stretch, so hard, you know, all season just to stay in the playoff picture that they are, I don't want to say tired come playoff time, but they've already put in so many miles. It'd be nicer to go into the playoffs with them a little more rested uh, than they were last year. And, and I think the schedule actually sort of benefits them at this point because, as I said, in the month of October, they play a grand total of eight games and they have um, no back-to-backs. So they can be uh, a little bit, I would say, more judicious with how they ease people in. And then in November, like, they're going to be playing more games. But there's not really anything in there that you go, oh, wow, that's brutal. They only have a couple back-to-backs. Um, they don't play a, a ton of horrific road trips. So, like, they can afford to be a little bit, as I said, more judicious and a little bit more careful with those guys. But the real hope you have for this year, we, we'll talk about it more, is that you want this team to not have to chase the playoffs the way they did last year and in an Eastern Conference that's going to be more competitive, I think that balance is important. I don't know when they're going to return. I think there's a good chance that one of them is back, at least by Thanksgiving. But they they have a better idea than we do. And the fact that they signed so many guys at least indicates to me that they are a little concerned about when they're going to be back. But I think that they have to take 
you know, every step they can to insulate themselves from that. Because as, as you said, I don't think they know. And they also have to prepare for the worst case scenario, which could be, you know, all-star break. You know, torn labrum and everything that Ekblad was dealing with are serious. But when they do all return, which will happen at some point, where do you think we go with the pairings? Interesting. Uh, I would maybe put Mikola with Ekblad if his strength is skating, as they keep saying, and he's able to, you know, close ga- gaps well and, you know, play a very good structured game. I want to put him with Ekblad, who maybe, you know, his his weakness a little is that mobility. You know, he his partner can help him and close some gaps for him and come over uh, quickly. That would be a big help. Uh, and then you you can have a pairing that has familiarity in Forsling Montour. Um, both are great skaters. Um, they've played well at times together uh, in the past, uh, so I would like that. And then, you know, I think the third pair is whoever really earns it out of, you know, everything that tr- transpires up to that point. You got to think Mahora uh, has a really good chance of being one of those two defensemen. Uh, as uh, as well as OEL. You said it earlier, what a great chance for Josh Mahura right now like to yeah. truly earn the extra minutes that a lot of us last year thought he had already earned, but they just didn't give it to him. Now, he might be playing a, you know, a decent amount this year on the right as opposed to the left, but you, know, you think about that kind of versatility and the kind of players that they look for, it's a good chance for him. And maybe this is the year that he takes it. And I look, he, he's got a lot of runway ahead of him. Of all of the defensemen that we've been talking about, like he, you know the Panthers want to keep him beyond this year. So you also know that his opportunity is probably the biggest out of all. He's got a glorious it, chance yeah. this year. But, I mean, I think that there is one of the outcomes of what they did with their defensive core is, you know... There's not going to be too much. I don't think that. I think I don't think that there's going to be room enough for everybody to come back just out of principle. Uh, and I don't know how much you're going to get because there's still that other defenseman that you want to bring in that hasn't been brought in yet. I think um, even if Mikola works out, if OEL works out, you're not going to be able to afford him coming back. So it's a one and done with him. I think same with Riley because if he does anything more than a million, you know, you don't want to afford him. Um, and, you know, Kulikov maybe you can bring back at the same clip or whatever later, but he's not a long-term solution, I don't think. Uh, and, you know, you want somebody to push Forsling down on that left-hand side. I don't know if that's – I don't know if Mohora has the, the puck skills to – to do that. I think you want somebody more dynamic. You want somebody at least Montour's level or higher on that left-hand side, I think, to to really be at at your best with that decor. I think that you're absolutely correct there. Can they do it? I mean, maybe that's just Hannafin coming in in free agency next year. Maybe, you know, maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe that's why they're not trading for him because they they know that they're one of the top teams for him, uh, and and he's definitely going to UFA no matter what. So they'll just wait a year on him. 
There, I mean, hey, you know, the Panthers have been able to sell a lot of people I'm, to come down there. I'm just talking out the side of my mouth. I obviously it's have possible. No it's possible. Uh, le- is, I'm not Eklund. This is not an E5. Leave it to Y Hockey to spend 40 minutes on the defenseman, but that's that's our brand. Uh, we have to talk I mean, about the it's, forwards it's a little good. bit, too. It's good. You know, like, they got a defenseman, I think, who's better defense. They got some guys who are good at offense. They have some guys who are good at defense. You know, they're not in too deep with any of them. And I think I they've think... managed it as well as they could knowing their circumstances and a lot of guys who are worthwhile bets and you own and your only long-term one being Mikola at a reasonable enough cap hit that you don't worry that much about, you know, yeah, the just, term. You gotta, and also yeah. it's a guy that the agency, of course, Wasserman, Marcus Leto, they know the agent, Bill Zito's familiar with all of those people. So, you know, he's got, you know, when he makes signings like this, if he knows somebody, he can trust them. And we'll get to that with the forwards a little bit. This is what he does. And I have absolutely yeah. no reason to think that this isn't a, a solid. I've liked Mikola when I've seen him play for the blues and the Rangers. I think there's, I think it's an yeah. absolutely worthwhile. It's, bet. it's just, is he going to be more than a third pairing guy? Is he uh, going to be more than what I assumed when I saw that they signed him, which is the goodest replacement, which you would, but I don't know. So. I mean, is he going to be – that's question – I mean, Gudis was a a above-average third-pairing defenseman. Uh, I'm thinking he can be – I think his floor is kind of around that, hopefully. But hopefully he can be more than that because if you can, you know, get him, Forsling, and somebody better than Forsling next year – um, and hopefully even better than Hannafin, that would be that would be great. That'd that, be ideal. You can keep Ekblad, you keep Montour uh, for another, you know, Ekblad for at least another year. You get Montour re-signed, and you know, then you're cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's move on to the forwards. I think we forwards, should. I mean, let's just start with um, the one thing. I think that. Th- that they needed to get was more finishing skill. And that's the one thing they, I don't think they addressed. They got, obviously they needed depth um, and they got depth. They, they addressed that. They have some bodies. I like some of the, even their AHL signings like true. Um, I like Alex true. Uh, he's played for Charlotte before when he was cracking property. Um, you know, so like I liked what they did up and down the forward group, you know, Duclair going out for, I guess you want to call it Rodriguez and Lawrence. That's not, it's not awful. I, I would have thought that Duclair had more value, but I guess his last three playoffs don't look great. His injury isn't great. You know, he has to be signed. Uh, and, um, you know, I, 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 and with some of the buyouts and some of the trades for future considerations and stuff like that, I think some of the prices on guys really submarined. And I think Duclair kind of got caught up in that. Um, and you know, since we're talking about Rodriguez, great, I think it's a great fit. Um, but the one thing he, I wish he had more of was finishing skill. Uh, I, I, I don't mind the contract. I, you know, I thought Colorado was going to keep him. I thought he'd be a good fit in Pittsburgh because I think he's a good guy to play with skilled centers. Centers who think the game 
uh, a step ahead of other people. Um, and, you know, I think if we can live with him, you know, missing some open nets and not, and having a little less finishing skill than we want, uh, I think we're going to be pretty happy with him. He is such an interesting player because you know that obviously if a team like Colorado is taking a chance on you, there's something there because it's the abs and yeah. Pittsburgh, you know, he's, a, as you said, a really good guy who can play with good players. And that, that is a skill that is hard to find. So it, it, it speaks to the question, why didn't Pittsburgh with Dubis and why didn't Colorado want to bring him back at that clip? Cause to me, that's probably, I mean, this was the, that would be the biggest contract I'd sign him to. Um, so maybe they had to give the, an extra year or whatever, go you know, to get them. But it's still, I think, a contract where you get value back on it. You're still you're in the green, you're in the plus, you know, your surplus. He he, what he has more than Anthony Duclair, and you retweeted um one of Micah's charts. Like Anthony Duclair, everything is happening at the ice all the time. You know, incredible offensively, but defensively, you know, Anthony Duclair is not one of the better forwards defensively. Evan Rodriguez's ability to do a lot of different things, I think the versatility is what they were looking for. I don't think he's going to be playing much center. I guess theoretically he could if you're going to move Lundell to the wing at some point, which they did but, yeah, multiple I mean, they have points a, last year. I like that they have a lot of people who can play center. You're t- we're talking about Lost Training. We're talking about Reinhardt, you know, Rodriguez now. Uh I mean, Stenland could theoretically play center, so can Nick Cousins. So you've got the options, but I think for Rodriguez, what you're going to like is there's power play upside there. He's a really good power play player. So that second unit, which often was bad, or it was a unit that the coaches did not trust. You didn't put them out there all that often. Rodriguez being there gives you a little more trust. I think in a second power play unit, even if he's not going to be playing with, you know, the A group, with Barkov and Kachuk, yeah. you know, there's there are options there, and he's defensively going to be better than Anthony Duclair. And I love Anthony Duclair. We love Anthony Duclair. I want nothing but success for him. I think it's cool that he's going to be playing for a black GM and Mike Greer. And if the Sharks are as bad as we think they're going to be, he's going to be a hot commodity at the trade deadline because that kind of talent is usually not available. And I I think he also is going to want more money on a contract next year than I think Florida was willing to give him, and I can understand yeah. that. And it sucks, because I love him. But I thought we'd get more back. Yeah, I, I understand that. But maybe maybe they could have got you know a better pick, but they chose the body and the lesser pick instead. Which, you know, if that's the case, fair. I'm not going to judge that trade too harshly. Um, but, you know, it does... You never... There's some players that you wish you didn't have to get traded but you knew why they were. And I think Duclair falls in that category. I hope he does well, whether he stays in San Jose, goes elsewhere. Um, I I don't think that there is like, there's the fan part of me that wants obviously the Panthers to do well. And then there's the, you know, the journalist rooting for stories part of me and the human being part of me that just thinks they have come across an incredible human being and somebody you just, you are rooting for them to succeed because that's good for everyone involved if he succeeds. And Anthony Duclair is one of the uh, rare players who hits all of those, you know, criteria. Yeah. And he, he's somebody who I think every Panthers fan is going to have a, a smile on their face when they think of him. 
and he gets to come back to Florida really early too, like in October. And so that'll, hmm. that'll, that'll be nice. Um, but yeah. I think Rodriguez adds that a little more versatility in the lineup and the, and the, and the bottom guys, Stenlin and, and Lawrence, who I always mispronounce either Lawrence or Lawrence. I think what they want there is because we know that once you got down the lineup last year, like the, the drop off was, was massive. Those guys are guys that when they're on the ice, nothing happens. And I think what their goal is, or I think what, you know, at least what Paul Maurice would like is he knows what he's got in his top two lines, arguably top three lines when everybody's clicking. That fourth line he wants to, you know, to maintain neutral, as you would say, and to keep everything ticking over so when Barkov comes back or when Kachuk comes back on the ice, you've kept everything going. You don't lose momentum because of that fourth line, which by the time the season got to its end last year, when they put on anything beyond the top two lines, you know, you could start yeah, to see the I, ice tilt the other way. And what their goal is, is to just have guys who can keep it at neutral when everybody else is getting a breather. L- L- Lawrence played for Carolina. Stenland's a guy that Zito knows from yeah. his Columbus days, so you'll bet on the knowledge there. They'll be, they'll be fine, I guess. Um, you know, hopefully they're fine sitting, sitting them when, you know, if – Denisenko or somebody like that, or, some, or they are still able to bring in somebody else, um, you know, uh, uh, that comes in, or you know, another prospect like Samuskevich or somebody. I, I think Denisenko is, as as Bill Zito said, like he's got a really good chance to make it out of camp, and this is probably his last chance. Like for me, got, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's time, buddy. At that point, then it would be best to put him into a different situation because. You only get so many chances as a skilled player to impress a coach and be a skilled player in their eyes, a trusted skilled player. Um, you know, like a guy who, even when they're playing bad, is still going to get to go out in the big moments because you still trust them to figure it out more so than another player who's even playing well, but a kind of a grinder to put one in. And... So for Denisenko to get there, I think he has to have a good camp. He has to find chemistry uh, in the top nine with one of those guys, one of those three top three centers. Uh, with hope, hopefully, in my opinion, one of those top three centers is Lundell. I'm not ready to give up on his development as a center. Looking at the prospect pool the Panthers have as centers, it's pretty weak. I, I only uh, think that, I, you know, when, when they went to that last year, it happened in the regular season, as we know, and then it happened very, very end of the final. Like, I think that was kind of a break glass in case of emergency situation. And so. you cross your fingers that it doesn't happen again because, as yeah. as multiple people said, I think Lindell was the Panthers' most consistent player in the final. And you know, and, and in the playoffs, until the very end when the lineup just broke down, when he was playing center, he was great. He did absolutely everything you wanted him to do in those spots and was consistent, was solid. He has every reason to stay at center, and I don't think they're going to move him off so then, of center unless it's a break glass in case of so emergency then, kind of situation. So then for me, you know, I start with duo. So, you know, every center, you got to give a winger that they can find success with. So Bennett... You know, right now, Staple could chuck to him. Barkov, Verhage. You know, I think Barkov needs somebody at, at least like a Verhage or a Kachuk level on this team 
you know, maybe Reinhardt at worst, but he, you can't, you can't just do like a like a Denisenko and Evan Rodriguez and Barkov. You, you I, can't be relying I mean, it, on Barkov to do it the can. Seth Griffith thing when he elevated yeah. a player who I, wasn't very good. I I think it's it's only fair to give because you'll just get so many more goals that way. And in the name in the name of the game in the regular season, especially in the beginning for the Panthers, is going to be outscore their outscore their problems until they're healthy and hope that their goalies are able to find a rhythm through the first quarter of the season. Uh, that's that's the goal. Um, and I think they can do that and, and come out the other end in a playoff spot with this roster. But they're going to be on the margins on, on some areas, and they're going to need some things to go the right way. But isn't that a lot of teams? Well, that's um, going to be the so, entire East this year outside of maybe yeah, two but, or I three mean, teams. Like, so then you got so – you know, you got Reinhardt and and Lundell. I think that's your your, and then you put Lawstrain in with them, so that's your third line. Your second line, most I would just say, you just plug in that second line from last year. You have so much change and so much unfamiliarity, most likely in those D pairs early on, especially right now with no training camp and nothing to see how Maurice is putting these guys together. My my leaning is going to be familiarity. I think that's a really yeah, good pull there because you know that if your top nine is everything's the same, swap out Duclair and Rodriguez, then you could really hit the ground running when wins are going to be important at the start of the season. Yeah. And you need one area of your game to be second nature, yeah. right? I mean, because of Kachuk, all the change on the back end. You have, you have Kachuk coming back, so you're going to need some guys who are going to you know, make sure that he doesn't have to do a, a lot of work in the corners. You know, you're going to want to keep it easy. Make sure he, you know, doesn't have to do too much bumping and grinding uh, in the beginning of the year, and he can kind of work back into it uh, from, coming back from the sternum. Injury. Yeah, and and if that's if so, those three lines are what we would think in that situation, then you'd have um, Stenland, uh, Lorenz, and Lomberg, which is a line where you would hope nothing happens when they're on the ice. In a yeah, good way. I mean they're guys. They're guys that can skate, and they're guys that can get on the forecheck. And hopefully, when they create the turnovers, they just keep it simple, get to the net. And if they, you know, get enough rebounds, if they, you know, pick enough corners, I'm sure they might all end up with 15, 20 points or something in the hand. You know, you, you trust Ryan Lomberg. You know what he is, and you rely, and you can you can rely on that. Yeah, and we didn't talk about Denisenko. We haven't talked about some of the other players yet. So you're hoping that, you know, it, my honest opinion is I like Stenland. If he has to play all 82, he has to play all 82, but I don't want him to play all 82. I want him to get rotated out. I want, you know, Den there's going to be some looks where you have more four offensive lines and you have more two defensive lines and two offensive lines. I want them to play with all those looks. I want them to do matchup specific stuff in big games and get into those habits in the regular season. So I expect there to be a lot of guys playing around. I mean, Hepo Niemi is correct. He's another guy who's, you know, it's time, you know, he, he can, he can do it. It's time. You know, I think <laughs> I remember the articles from last year. Hepo Niemi has made the team. I, I, I've wanted to say that about the Dennis Anko clippings about how they're really giving him a shot. Like I, 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 I want that to be true, but I'll believe it when I see it because I've heard Hepo Niemi made the team, 
And yeah. my God, did he not make it? No, he did not. And even a guy like Asplund, who fits into the nothing happens when he's on the ice kind of mold, like he's got a really good defensive metrics, but offensively there might literally be nothing there. Like, again, perfectly reasonable guy to have. You know, on a two-way, yeah. A two-way, yeah. So, but, like, they, they are actually building – You, I'm looking at the guys who are going to be on that, that Charlotte roster. It's a good – it's not a bad roster. They're going to have a lot of defensemen, guys who you think have a future in the NHL or a shot to. They're going to have a couple forwards that are going to be good call-ups if they have to get there. And a few, you know, ancillary prospects given – you know, the picks that they've had recently and the prospects they've traded away, it's not, not a bad haul. No. It's not great, but it's, you know. It, it's, they're, a they're good, it's a good AHL team for all of the purposes of sometimes having a good AHL team means making sacrifices that the Panthers aren't necessarily making. And as we end the Panthers, well, we're not going to end the Panthers. Well, I just yet, end we've got goalies to talk I about. I want to end the Ford part with they didn't – they don't. They didn't necessarily get the high skill that maybe they talked about getting last off season when they were saying circle your calendars for next year. Obviously, they weren't using these words, but you know what I mean. Like you know, next year we're going to have a lot more cap flexibility. Then they get to the, this year, they chose to use it on depth. Okay, that's great, but they're banking on the at least right now, there's still a lot of time before training camp opens. You know, at this point last year, they didn't have Kachuk. So, and the plan was to run it back. So things a hundred percent can change, but they're definitely going back up to their guys and saying, Barkov, we need you aiming for 40 goals. You know, we need Hagee. Yeah. Kachuk, you gotta be gone for a hundred points again. Um, This is what we're, this is what, you know, we need you guys to pull to to just be to just go just go all out, um, and hopefully they don't they do so enough early in games that they can take their foot off the pedal and start to give them eighteen nineteen minutes in games instead of twenty two twenty three um, in regular season games uh, to get the same results. So, so we've got two other areas for the Panthers we'd like to get to. We have to talk about the goalies because we haven't You're done have that to yet. Add some of the defense part down, I yeah. think. Yeah, <laughs> um, goaltending is inter- is interesting. They went back to the uh, former Flyer well for for your third goalie, essentially. Nothing wrong so, with that. So what happened here? Because because Knight signed for two years at nine hundred thousand. Lion a- did. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Lion signed with Detroit for that. I okay. The first thing with Stolars is. That money is all variable. Like the variable limit is one point one five this year. So is it really? Yes, it is. It has gone okay. up. The way I know this is if you look at Pyotr Kachetkov's contract for Carolina, his cap hits eight fifty and his full salary is two. So one point one five is the variable limit. So it's under the variable limit. So when I say that they have <laughs> an extra one point one five million in cap space, that's what I'm talking about. Um, Stolarz is somebody who has been, he has a lot of NHL experience, more than Lyon does. Lyon was obviously great at the end of last year, but Stolarz has been a, a backup for longer in the league. He's played on just some truly terrible Ducks teams. Like, they were garbage. Uh, yeah. These Panthers teams are going to theoretically be better than that. They should. Um, what they are doing, my guess is, and Bill Zito hinted at this, I think, at the draft, was like because of what happened with Spencer Knight. 
and because he can still go down without waivers, like they are, I think, very willing to have him play quite a few games in Charlotte. And if you're going to do that, because you want him to build his game back up and get his confidence back and just get back on track, which is going to take some time considering what he's gone through. I think what they wanted was a guy who is uh, as cheap as possible of a, this is a real NHL backup who we can trust to play when we need to. And I think with Alex Lyon, they might have said, okay, this guy's a really good third option that we can shuttle from AHL to NHL in a pinch, but... If we need to rely on him for more games than we had to last year, it's a risk they don't necessarily want to take. So your this is your, my guess. Yeah. Okay. So your guess is the Panthers chose Stolars over Lion, versus Lion thought being a third goalie in Detroit was a better opportunity than being the staying with the Florida Panthers. I think that is also part of it because it is quite possible that Lyon recognizes that they know they want Spencer Knight eventually to be backup 1A1B and that means his opportunity runway is a little more limited than it would be for Stolarz who you know gets to be a quasi backup or a part of a thruple as some people have said which I think is a really funny term especially knowing that, you know, he signed a one-year deal, Lyon got two. So that also indicates to me that, you know, I don't think the Panthers wanted to go two with Lyon. I think they would have rather gone a year. And Stolar's going a year, I think, gives them a little bit more flexibility in that they they are still very much hopeful with Spencer Knight and they want to get him back. Yeah. And I think they I, feel that Stolar's is a little bit more willing to play the to game a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Stolarz has a 9-12 save percentage in 81 games. Uh, I think Lions, like, a little over 900, like 904 or something like that in 39, 40 games. So, yeah, you're getting better output in double the amount of sample size in the NHL. I think that's what they wanted to do because I, I, th- I don't think they know whether Spencer Knight is going to start the year in the NHL necessarily. If it's up to me... I bury what I bear. I can. I don't mind taking the three hundred or whatever cap hit, um, and having Solars play, because for me the most important thing, I mean, after Spencer Knight as a person is Spencer Knight's development. He's missed a lot of time, not just because of the assistance program, but also because, um, you know, he hasn't really as a backup in the NHL, hasn't played as much as he would if he was a starter in the AHL. So there's a lot of, since he's left college, a lot of games on the table that he needs to make up for. I I honestly think it'd be great to give him as much time as they think he needs in the AHL. Um, you know, look, they, they're planning on carrying his full cap hit, or whether, you know... So if it's him or if it's Stolarz, I don't care. I think the, you get, get the, best... the same amount of cap relief whether Stolarz is in the AHL or Knights in the AHL. The worst, I mean, the worst thing for him would be if it doesn't go well his first couple starts in the NHL, and then you have to move him down. Then what? Then you know. Then you know. It's much better for him to get a couple get a couple wins and a shutout or two in the AHL. 
and you're like, oh, yeah, he's definitely ready. Let's pull him up. You know, that's much better. Uh, so uh, I don't think he's too too proven to to get put down there and i don't know what the waiver situation is with his new contract but he because he hasn't played enough nhl games can still go down without waivers okay well i i think for that reason you just do it now anyway because the more he plays and the more he's rostered for and stuff you know it's the closer you get to that limit so um i I'm I'm whether it was Stollers or Lyon or some other goalie, I I think they would have found somebody that would have been fine to to play your with the way Bob played, um I think, you know, there's no reason to think you can't just rely on him to get you through the regular season. I I think that what they want to do is to is to play him as much as they can but as little as possible. You know, well, it's I think because... you know. You just, you, I'm, I'm okay with you know finding. They don't have many back to backs this year, which is they great. have seven, I think, in total. Yeah, which they're, is crazy. they're one of the lowest teams. Finally, they usually they have one of the most. They're still kind of up there for travel, especially for the Eastern Conference. So when I look at their schedule, rested, you look at when, of course they are because they're in Florida. But when you look at their schedule, their California road trips in November, and it's just three games. They have the Western Canada Seattle road trip that's in the middle of December, yeah. and your Mountain Time Zone, you know, Vegas one is is in January. So all that's done early. Now they don't have the same sort of ridiculous road home split that they did last year um, when they had such a backload of games at home but then they do have a stretch in january where they're playing six of seven at home and the road trip is nashville so like they they are going to have an opportunity to you know they've got multiple day you know stretches with like three four days off so that they can manage it a little bit better this year but i think what we learned from the playoffs last year or particularly we learned from dallas when they overworked ottinger is that you need to just as much as you can balance out the number of games you give to your 1A, your 1B, and having that third guy is really important. And I, I think that Stolarz is going to be real. Like, again, when the Panthers play like the Sharks, even though they've got plenty of time off between games, you don't mind playing Stolarz because it's San Jose. Now, you know, if he's playing, when you're playing against lesser teams, you can play them. And then when it's time for Spencer Knight to come back, you can build him up because you know, okay, Sergei Bobrovsky's confident. He's ready to do what he needs to do. We know what he did in the playoffs last year. And then you can build Spencer Knight up in a way that, you know, allows them to find a new formula because they tried so two-on-one off in recent have, years. It didn't happen. In in theory, they're going to have four goalies competing for the NHL spots. Cause yeah, because Weber to, also could kind of count. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and if he plays that well... You might as well, right? I don't know. You well, got, I think it's that's it, a guy you, you, you take a bet on because it's an international guy who but, you can then, definitely use, but also, you know, it's not somebody you really rely on as a third goalie. 10 to 12 defensemen going for it, depending if you want to count the injured guys or not. Yeah. Um, and for forwards, you'd probably say 15, 16. Because I, I, I think, you know... Let me pull up their cap friendly here. Uh, I would say you've got like 15, 16 guys who can who can compete for forward spots next year. Yeah. What do you What do you think about the Florida Panthers not trying to get into LTIR? Obviously, 
the reason that there they are, don't want to do there it. There are cap so reasons they, for why you wouldn't want to do that if you don't have to. Especially at the trade deadline. Yes. And they have, if you do what I said, 1.15 million, let's say, let's just throw Denisenko on the roster for argument's sake. You've got about 365,000 in cap space, but when you send one of the goalies down, you add 1.15. So you're at about one, basically 1.5 rounding error. And you accrue cap space throughout the season. And it's easier to do that when you're not an LTI as opposed to when you are. So what that means is if you're in normal, you know, you've got normal amounts of cap room without putting Ekblad and Montour on LTI, and that's 1.5 million, then the amount you can add as you head towards the trade deadline goes up more than it would if you were an LTI. I don't know how it works exactly in the calculation, but it works essentially like that. And what that means is you add more cap space that you can play with at the trade deadline. And because last year you didn't give up any assets to, you know, go on your cup run, you now have a little bit more wiggle room to work with if, say, you want to go after, you know, Noah Hannafin at the trade deadline or if you want to go after somebody else or a finisher. You know, you've got a lot more wiggle room than to put Ekblad and Montour on LTI. The benefit doesn't outweigh the cost. You know, because what's the point of putting them on LTI when you're not going to use the cap space anyway because you know they're going to return in the middle of the season and you don't get the same kind of benefit? The the only risk of doing that... um, Is if somebody else gets hurt, you then have to go into LTI. Yeah, and then you're kind of... You know, but you can't so, predict injuries anyway, so right. Like, so you're you're really taking a chance, so because you can't predict injuries. But I, I I'm not against it. I I like that they're taking risks. I like that they're assertive, that they're confident in what they're doing. It's not like they waited till the end, you know, and they just got all the D that were laying around, and you know, Michael Delzato's coming back, and all that, you know, like no Anthony Batetto on a two way. You know, they're. They they said all right we we know who our picks are you know they they picked they signed four their four best UFA lefty that they probably thought that they could realistically get and fit all together uh, maybe they didn't get one that they pitched to and some and that's how they got somebody else you never know but you know for the most part it looks like they got everyone they wanted and. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see how they put it all together. I, I, I think they have the talent to rise up and to, to make use of just the depth additions and, and keep it all in the positive. As I said before, their floor being higher is good because right now in the East, who's the highest ceilings are Carolina and New Jersey. They're not in Florida's division. The highest ceilings in the Atlantic don't really matter because what Florida has proven uh, with their playoff run last year, is it doesn't matter what happens if they get in because they're going to be confident that when they do, because they have Matthew Kachuk and Nick Cousins and Sam, they can play the way they played last year. Yeah, I don't know if I'd list Nick Cousins that. Well, no, no, no. Place. I'm saying like as is annoying. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like as part of their annoying right. style. I, I mean, I think that for the most part, everybody, besides a few star, you know skilled forwards meets that I I think that they've done very well like you said building to an identity uh you know the coach works enough for that you know it seems that they 
or having enough success in a lot of areas. I'm willing to, I apologize for interrupting, but I am willing to say that the regular season last year, because of their cap situation, meant that Maurice was a lot, had his hands tied far more than he would have liked and he he would have shown if what we see this year is actually going through the options and rotating in players. I agree. That's what I need to say. I agree. I mean, if if I'm looking at it, the Florida Panthers have a great opportunity. They've returned a lot of players. Um, they've addressed a lot of their issues, not all of their issues, and you know they're still to be determined if they can get some of their D to fit and you know all of that. But for the most part, you know, getting into the playoffs, getting a little better seating is realistic, you know, based on luck and injuries. And you just got to hope that the the top-end talent can put together the sort of clutch performances they did last year uh, again. Uh, because, or that they're able to find a way with their low asset capital to add some more talent. That would also be helpful. Um, I, I think that they can. You know, if there's any GM group uh, in the league I have faith in, you know, the one in Florida is is up there for me. They 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 earned a lot crazy. of trust, even though last year's regular season was a mess. What the playoffs proved was that their bet on their guys was the correct bet. Yeah. Now they have to ensure that the regular season is not as stressful and that when they get into the playoffs, they give themselves a little bit more runway and margin to play with. Because if they do that, you have Barkov and Kachuk and Ekblad and Montour and the high-end talent that already proved that they are playoff performers. And there's nobody in the East that scares you. The scariest teams in the East, you beat them last year with a worse roster. So Speaking, speak. I mean... I agree, and but I I just want to kind of because I'm I'm kind of sitting on it, you know. Do you think that there is a chance that Forsling and and or Reinhardt is is moved? I mean, they've already proven this front like the one thing we had not seen this front office really do was trade one of their guys. Like Duclair was one of Zito's signings. I think he ached to have to do that. But you could see for why he would. I don't think it's impossible that they trade one of them. I don't think it's really that likely because I think that Duclair was a guy that they found room to upgrade on in certain respects. Forsling is like, if there's any poster child of their guy, it's probably Gustav Forsling. And to replace Sam Reinhardt and all that he does is really, really hard, and you need an incredible package back to to make that happen. And I I don't think it's, I don't think, I, I would, nothing would surprise me because they pulled the Matthew Kachuk trade off, but it would honestly would surprise me at this stage to see either of them move because I think Bill Zito, like, now that they've got four key players they need to re-sign for next year, not five, now that Duclair is gone, I think they're going to try to keep all of them. Do you do you think that they are resigned then? Is that what you're saying? Um, I think Sam Reinhardt's gonna like it's. I don't know what their contracts are gonna look like. I have no idea what any of them are gonna look like. And and I'm referring to Reinhardt, uh, Lundell, 
um, Montour and Forsling because Los Duranen is somebody who they could easily resign without much I- without much issue because he's not going to have the counting stats, but he's a guy that I, you know, you know what I mean. I like think Montour's contract is going to be seven times eight. It, it it is a fascinating deal, and I think that's a really tough negotiation because seven because, million eight years is what I mean. Obviously. It's 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 definitely possible because the counting stats were so high, but that was a one year counting stats thing, so you don't know. And then you've got, but like if you look at next year's cap before anything else happens, if it's eighty seven point five, which cap friendly says. You've got $31 million to work with. That's a lot of room. Now, it would go quickly, but it's a lot of room, and it's an interesting debate that they're probably having internally right now of what they want. I think they want to re-sign all of the, all the four that I mentioned. Mundell is the fourth, but he's going to be easy because he's an RFA with no Arbrights, so that's, a, that's not a tricky one to do. But when you look at where they're heading... It's going to be interesting to see those negotiations because Montour and Reinhardt could take up a lot of that, you know... 31 million very very quickly but it's hard to like Montour is so unique as a player and a guy that they bet on I think they really want to keep and Reinhardt's a guy that he could be worth 9 to 10 on the open market wouldn't he next year I don't think so no I mean if people are are, I mean to me him and Nylander have roughly the same value and people, I think Nylander's got a tiny bit more offensive upside, but, but Reinhardt's so well-rounded in so many different areas and is a player is, you could trust in so many different situations. So if, if people are balking at nine to ten million for Nylander and like really saying, "Wow, he's," really I'm just saying, I was saying that with the free agency markup. Yeah. That's not but to I'm, say that that's what Reinhardt's actually worth. No, no, yeah. I mean, I think some, you know a team could offer him that sure i think he is going to be looking at you know probably he if if he can get some term at seven million or something he and seven million and change cap hit i think he would really like that i think the other thing that you're able to rely on with florida is because all of these guys have a familiarity with the place they already know that they have succeeded here. You have the tax benefits, which are obviously helpful in your decision-making. And for these guys, they want to win a cup. They know that Florida is really close. That's a benefit it depends. that they have. I, I wouldn't – I mean, if I had to sign anybody before the season, it would be Montour. I think that they're going to get a Montour deal done. Maybe I'm do. adjusting – maybe I'm pulling the Panthers and over-adjusting too much to to what we I think is a issue, but – the night deal has made me leery of signing guys too early, um, unless you know, unless they're guys that you have full trust in. And out of that group, Montour is the closest to full trust for me. Uh, I like Reinhardt a lot, but what do you like? I don't know if that money isn't better spent, or if you know they aren't. You know, like. For me, Montour, you got to get because they can't. They have to keep building that defense. It's it's super important. Um, I look at Reinhardt. He scored thirty one. He scored thirty three in Florida. Um, he's been. He was. He had a really good playoff run this year. Um, but if he wants, you know, what I think he's worth, which. I mean, you're getting to, you know, 60-some, $70 million contract at his age and stuff. Based on what Zito's done before, 
is that is do you want to get into that with Reinhardt? I don't know. I think you're you you stumble into less problems with a defenseman who's athletic like Montour, who has you know been relatively uninjured, uh, and teams are kind of drooling over right now than Reinhardt, who um, I think a lot of teams and a lot of people underrate. Um, is so I. I it's it's a tough call, know. but they've it's got tough. a little bit of runway to make some decisions. Yeah. But we'll see. But we'll see. I think, as I said, they'll resign all of them. But you just you don't know. I want to see what they. I mean, see see what things are like by the trade deadline. You know, before I don't. I mean, because like for for Reinhardt, if he has another season where he's closer to sixty seven points of last year than eighty two of the year before. That changes things significantly, even if it's around the same goal pace. You know, just being the difference between, you know, 49 assists and 36 assists and, you know, given his, his value and his usage. Um, you know, it. so it all depends. But, like, you know, if Montour's – his is going to be – whatever numbers he puts up this year, it's not going to matter because he's going to have the injury excuse. Yeah. You look at his production, it's going to be what he did in the regular season as far as numbers, and then being able to morph his game and lock it down more in the playoffs against your top teams you're going to be playing against in your division. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. They're going to sell on. So Absolutely. It's going to be tough. I. It's, a, it's an interesting I story to follow, yes. want to be like – I wouldn't want to be Bill Zito right now because – there's so much potential, but it comes on with such a fine margin to reach it uh, with this team. Um, and I think, you know, they're making smart moves and they're taking risk where it makes sense to take risk. I wish they brought in a, you know, I wish they brought in one big defenseman and Mikola and that was it. Um, and they, you know, and they got some better skills on forwards and I don't know, but what they ended up doing was just as good as my idea, you know, as far as what the probably outcome is and the likely out outcome of them winning playoff series. Um, they have then them having depth and stuff. I just hope they didn't block too many of their own guys, uh, like Carlson, like Ludwig, like, uh, Kanunen. Um, because they're definitely at the age and starting to play enough games in the minor leagues where uh, if you don't pull them up soon enough, they'll never be more than just depth, no matter mm-hmm. what. Um, I want to quickly get to the draft for them before we start talking flyer stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of other things I do want to get to. Uh, for the for the draft, you know, they don't have a lot of picks. I know you liked one of their guys uh, that they drafted. One of uh, Vickman, uh, the Swedish defenseman, was one of your guys. So yeah. you're very happy when they drafted him. You also liked Sachin too. Yeah, uh, I, did. I had him at 26, I think. Um, my, it's you know, does he have the? Is he able to polish up his game and kind of, you know, uh, have that potential for production in the NHL? Uh, he's a very high skilled player. Um, he, you know, is very creative. He, I think he fits the mold of what Florida is looking for. Um, and at the play to get somebody who I thought was kind of late first round, early second round, 
at the very end of the second round uh, is a home run. This guy, you know, he might be a center. We were just talking about how they they lack centers. You know, maybe he's not, but, you know, I think, you know, just having that possibility is, is nice. Most wingers in the NHL were drafted as centers or used to play center, so it makes sense. Uh, it shows that he has the hockey IQ that obviously Zito and team are looking for. You look at the free agent acquisitions. They're guys who at least are smart enough not to play too much over the role, like guys like Stenlin and Lorenz or, um, you know, obviously Rodriguez is a guy who's smart enough to play with top talent like McKinnon and Crosby. And, you know, I think Sawchin played in a buried role on Seattle, a uh, top WHL team, um, you know, they won the WHL this year. Um, well, the only reason why I knew who he was when they drafted him. A great WHL draft name, Grayson Sawchin. Well, it's a great WHL draft name, but there's somebody else who plays on the Seattle Thunderbirds last year that, you know, I have a somewhat keen interest in. Uh, Luke Prokop. There you go. And uh, so I knew who he was because Luke uh, had uh, was at Toronto Pride, did some really cool stuff, and he actually commented on one of Luke's posts. So I was like, "All oh, right, yeah, that." So hey, that we talk about good character, guys. You know, after last year's homophobia per sixty quotient was way too high, you've now drafted somebody who's played with an openly gay player and clearly likes a. You know, has clearly done you know what you should do in that situation. So then, when you talk about high character guys, that's a high character guy for me. So, you know that that is a draft pick that I wholeheartedly approve yeah. of. So I mean, it's if if you wanted to look at it, it's kind of like they drafted a guy they could have drafted at thirty second overall or thirty first overall. You know, if they had the opportunity, yeah, maybe they would have got somebody better, even if they were drafted there with how things worked, but. Um, you know, they got a guy who has the skill level of a, of a late first rounder. Um, and I, like you said, Albert Vickman, uh, you know, I've liked some, some guys out far you said, uh, another one, Albert Johansson, another Albert, um, from Detroit. This is a guy who I, I thought was maybe, I thought they were going to get Sturback or, um, Minuton, uh, from the national development program at that 60, 63 pick. Um, but Wick, Vickman was somebody I had, like, in that next level. Like, if he's not there, he's a defenseman I like. Um, he's very good defensively, closing gaps, um, you know, stick on puck, winning back pucks, breaking them out. He does a lot of that. And towards the end, there was a lot of flash in his game, uh, you know, jumping up, activating, starting to show a little hunger towards the net taking shots, looking for uh, primary assists and stuff. So, you know, is he somebody who's going to have a breakout year like Ludwig Jansen and, and put up a lot of points at the World Juniors? Who knows? Uh, but um, I think it's a smart pick in that same way of they're finding a lot of those skill sets that you want in defensemen. Um, like we say, they're like soccer backs or, you know, football backs where, you know, being competitive, being able to 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 have tight gaps and to hang with forwards and to hang with their their moves and all their deception and and their speed, win back the pucks and move them up to the guys who have skills to put them in the net is just critical. And if you're in the middle of the draft, that's who you should be targeting. 
you know, guys who who, who do that really well and then have the skill sets to to be more than that. And I think that's what they what they did. They drafted another goalie. You know, I don't know too much of their other draft picks, um, but you know, there's a lot of love for for their draft overall for relative to the picks they had. Mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree with you there. And and obviously the Flyers didn't mess up on their draft. So. No, they didn't. Uh, should we uh, talk about the Flyers now? Yeah, let's talk about the uh, Philadelphia Mitchkoffs. Uh, Philadelphia Mitchkoffs. Um, hey, Haddonfield's got a good Russian... Comp- I'm kidding about that, obviously. <laughs> um, but, hey, you know what? That's a, that's a pretty, really good, pretty, pretty cool thing, I gotta say, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Obviously, there's now all the added stress about, you know all the tensions build up with CSK and the, the, the Flyers goalie, Ivan Fedov, Fedetov or Fedotov. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm stumbling over my words by now. It's been a longer podcast, but um, you know, like there's obviously going to be a cat and mouse game there. Uh, Flyers don't need him to come over early. I certainly would want him to play two, at least two years in Russia. They need to be bad for two more seasons. Why burn any years off his entry-level contract so you can use that cap space when you start to want to get good again? Um, I, I think you know this coming draft is going to be really good, especially if you need defensemen. There's a lot of defensemen at the high end, and there's two, two, two or three really good forwards at at the top in the top five, I think. So. There's no reason to be to, to bring him over this year, try to get him out. And then next year, the same thing. You know, why bring him for a, a year early when some of your other draft picks probably aren't going to be ready to make that jump with him and start building that chemistry at the NHL level? Um, so we've seen how slow these things can be, so it's a great pick. I think out of all the teams, they were uniquely positioned the most to build a team around him and give him the best chance of having a career in the NHL. Um, I don't think Washington, I think he would have become too much of, uh, you know, helping Ovechkin get to his goal total versus trying to develop him into a player and giving him a team that can be his. Uh, Flyers are going to be his. I mean, at worst, he's going to be like the number two guy on that team, but he's going to be the guy expected to pump in the goals expected to get the crowd out of their seat to be exciting and all that. Uh, and he's going to love it. That's uh, one of the things, the big reasons why he wanted Philadelphia was because he saw they were positioned to be ready for him at the right time and to be his team. Mm -hmm. And I, I think one of the other things that the flyers just had to do with this Mitchkoff pick. And apparently they definitely sold him on playing in Philadelphia and being a star, which, I mean, what was really funny was Sam Hinkie tweeted after that draft pick was, I was like, okay, I had to laugh at that one. That was kind of funny. But (laughs) what it did was I'm sitting here from the outside. Obviously I do a podcast with you, but we also know the, you follow Flyers fans on whatever social media account we're using today. And all of them just wanted evidence and actions that this is different than the Flyers teams of old. And taking Mitchkoff is evidence that this is actually so, a different Flyers team. It's the biggest biggest piece of evidence. And it does the most to erase 
the biggest issue with Goodwill, the biggest blocker to Goodwill, which was that they didn't do this a year earlier. They didn't bring in Jones and, you know, it's less who they brought in and stuff. It's just like they really botched it. Well, you know, you got a top three or four pick, even if you're not a big fan of Michkov at seventh overall. You know, you 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 might not have gotten Bedard, but that would have been hard to do anyway, right? I mean, even with Torts and what they should have had and everything, they still probably would have been picking two or three, just because of how many other teams, you know, were bad and you know Chicago just won the thing. So, it, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Can I can I say that I have been a little mean to the Blackhawks and they have deserved it, but. They are bringing oh, in Brock yeah. McGillis to speak to Again. their prospects. Again, so, second time they brought him in. So, yeah. They, they, you know, they're, they're at least trying to show that they're learning lessons. And bringing Brock in, of course, I wholeheartedly endorse that every team should do it. But Chicago is building up a little relationship with him. And that is a good thing. And he will be speaking with Connor Bedard. So that also, again, it's good signs. I'm, I'm pleased with that. Even if the whole process of the Blackhawks, it's going to take a lot to get the ick out. But working with him is one way to help do that. But on the on the Flyers, like yeah. the thing that you that has now bought them goodwill for a couple of years, like they can be bad again and they will be bad again. But nobody's going to mind because just, the hope is on the horizon now. The and, last the last thing they need to do though is fix the leaks. They had, they got a lot of hype into their fan base that they were going to get more first round picks. They were going to have more of these guys traded by now. Things came through the crack, got reported that either weren't as is or things got changed later. So the reports were inaccurate because of it. But either way, obviously it doesn't help Briere and Jones and, and the Flyers because it makes them look like they're not closing deals. They're not getting things across the line or they're leaving value on the table because it sounded like they could have moved Sanheim maybe once or twice and they couldn't get it done. But that happens all the time. But those it never comes out that this is this trade's going to happen and then it falls through. Or this tr- trade is about to happen. You know, and it and it hasn't happened yet. It, you know, th- there'll be some more goodwill when that D'Angelo trade hopefully finally does. It'll go, go through in a couple of days. Yeah, it's a, but it's a when CBA it, thing. When it when it does, then it's gonna be like, okay, there's another one. But they're still too good. They still need to drop some of these guys. I mean, Sanheim, we know that's not gonna happen because of the tra- the trade protection, and just they were trying to do everything to shop him. And no team wanted them. Um, so you're just kind of stuck with that. I think they might be stuck for one more year with the roster that's probably too good to tank. But next year, because the cap, hopefully, cross your fingers, goes up, it opens up a little more room. I mean, I don't know what they turned down with Lawton, but I think now at this point, I wouldn't have turned it down. I would have moved Lawton, connect me. I mean, I think there's guys that you should probably move on from because if your idea is to really bring it down. Now, of course, they might be knowing that Mishkov's like, dude, I'm doing one more year in the KHL and I'm getting the hell out of there when they're not least expecting it. Like, we're just going to go. 
Um, and then so you're like, all right, we got to have to be, be better sooner. So you want to keep those guys? Sure. All right, whatever. You're just going to tank one more year, you know, whatever. But if it's going to be the three more years of of pain, then those guys should just you you get more by moving them sooner because if you don't move them by next trade deadline or you don't get a big haul at the next draft for them, then you've just really basically hurt yourself by having those those results. I mean, you can be playing you can be playing Mark Stahl more. You can be playing some of these guys some of these terrible veterans more, which, you know, I think Breer did a good job of getting guys who suck on the ice and <laughs> guys who are liked in the locker room. Mark Stahl is definitely that, even though, uh, yeah, no, I, we're not fans of him. But he's bad, and maybe some stupid team will give a fourth-round pick for him at the trade deadline. So, there you go. Yeah. Um, and also, I think that Hathaway is a decent enough player who, again, could have some value well, later on. They have two trade deadlines to trade him. Yeah. And, you know, and he can stay there as long as he wants and everything. And, again, you know, he's a guy that you want to be around in a rebuild. Because he's got the biggest issue that Jones has to deal with is getting that locker room more positive, because people hated being in that locker room. Oh, I mean, yeah. last year, last year, and this, and the year before that, uh, those two years, you know, it, it really took the fun out of playing and for these guys. So, hopefully, they can bring it back. I mean, I like their draft. They took two goalies because they were confident enough to take two goalies. You know, uh, they traded up to get their number one goalie, thinking that, you know, the run on goalies would continue, kind of stopped. And when their next goalie was up there in the third round, they felt confident enough to be like, we got the picks, we're going to do what we need to do, let's take our guys, whether they're two goalies or not. Um, I like what they did with Bonk. I think that's a good choice. I do think he has more potential than people are giving him. They picked Barkey, a guy who's going to play with them at London Knights. You know, that he's a skilled guy who's undersized, uh, but I think those guys being drafted by the same team, I think they're going to push each other to the potential more. Um, they took a couple uh, guys late in the rounds that I thought had good potential, even if I didn't rank them, and one I did rank in Cernick uh, in the fourth. They took a Knubel, uh, and I feel like Mike Knubel at some point is going to get back in that front office. Um, Again, it's not 70s and 80s Flyers anymore. It's I mean, 90s and aughts Flyers where, now. Where they took Knubel was about where the consensus industry had him rated. So, you know, I I don't... And the guy that they picked after him was a guy I had rated a lot higher. So I don't think they left too much value on the table to get a guy who I think does fit what they want to do. Um, and, you know, again... They maybe didn't always go best player available or always go for the high-risk, high-reward type of guy I would have or as European as I would have liked or whatever. But they had a good draft, and they nailed the draft pick they really needed to nail. And the next couple after it, they took guys that I can see being NHL players. And that, that's the most important part. Uh, so I like what they're doing. It's just continuing the, to earn that trust, earn that faith in the process and that things are different. Um, and they're doing that. Uh, I, 
I really don't have too much to complain about other than when it comes to trades, getting them over the line and not having them be leaked as much because I, I don't think it's their fault that they're leaking to say, but it hurts their ability to get deals done and close them eventually if they always are getting leaked too early and creating a bunch of backlash uh, from fans when they don't happen. Now, I guess I can understand that. So there is optimism for us about both teams we follow on this podcast? Like that's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because there's not, there's, you know, everything we've kind of asked for, we've mostly gotten, so why be greedy? You know, uh-huh. they things are kind of happening that we've wanted to happen, so, you know, let's trust the process and hope that we keep getting the 80-20 split of good and bad. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take 80-20. 80-20 sounds right. great, all things considered. Um, yeah. Before we wrap this thing up, just a couple of other points I wanted to make. Any um else thing, uh, any other things in the draft you wanted to talk about? Because obviously the dra- this was a great um, draft. I, it's a fun draft, even if nobody made moves. That probably was because all the players were really good. I don't... I'm not saying this to brag, but only two players on my list didn't get drafted, which is better than most year rates. And the two that didn't get drafted, one was a Finnish goalie that's a little undersized. I think he's 5'11", 6 foot, so that makes sense. Uh, and the other was a, a forward, and they were both honorable mentions. So, you know, I'm kind of not always expecting those to get picked. Uh, so I think I did really good with identifying guys that – the ind- that people liked and you know my ratings for the most part i was happy with and uh but i think a lot of teams walked away with guys that fit what they needed fit guys that they routinely bring to the nhl level you know it's usually just a couple teams that are like oh yeah those teams are just picking my guys uh, I thought my guys were very evenly dispersed this year amongst all the teams. Um, but Seattle, Carolina, uh, Detroit, obviously, uh, just Detroit had a great draft. I liked what Phoenix did. I liked getting Shimashov at six. I had him as my number one defender. And then taking somebody uh, in, in, in butt that uh, is going – that plays on his team um, and has a lot of high-end potential. Again, kind of like with getting the two nights, you're you're kind of hoping that they lift each other up uh, and bring each other over. Uh, so I I liked what Zona did, but again, they always seem to like trade up or or take guys too high when they have the opportunity to move back or uh, maybe do something a little different. So that was interesting. No well, it's, it's funny that they took two Russians and neither were Mitchkov. And I think Daniil Boot was was a funny a funny story that I'm not going to tell on the air, but a very funny story nonetheless that <laughs> someone brought up to me. That's probably not true, but definitely made me laugh when it happened uh, during the draft. So that that was entertaining. Uh, yeah, it was a good. It's really good draft. Really fun draft. Very deep draft. And I think, as I said, that's why a lot of um, people didn't move around. Next year's going to be good. I mean, it's not. I think, you know, we had a couple of average drafts in, in recent years. Um, and now we're kind of, 
you know, this was very much above average and the next one's going to be above average. And the one after that's probably going to be above average as well. Um, you know, it's way, way too early, even next year, you know, we're still a year out. A lot of things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, you know, hopefully Florida can figure out a way to get, uh, you know, draft pick. And if you're looking at trade assets, we talked about it. It's Reinhardt, it's Knight, it's Forsling. I mean, they don't have much of like NHL level guys in their prospects other than Sam Muscovich and maybe now, you know, or somebody else, they don't really have too much cachet. So it's going to be tough to see what they can do with, with the trade to get a first. But hopefully yeah. they do. Or, and fl- or keep and the getting, Flyers will have multiple firsts. Yeah, or just keep getting guys to fall all the way to 63 or whatever. That's fine, too. No second-round pick next year, at least for now. Um, And in terms of the free agency period, a lot of interesting uh, people that have moved around. I think all it might have behaved for the most part, which made a lot well, of guys side one year deals. Some some behaved. I want to go over. I mean, Carolina does what the Hurricanes always do. Like getting Orloff and Bunting is great. But the thing that I always think about with Carolina is they've already proven that they're a great regular season team. I mean, I don't need more evidence of that. I need evidence that you could win in the playoffs. And yes, you were handicapped last year and they were, but you got to see if they can actually push forward in the playoffs. That's the goal for them. And you got to win the Stanley Cup, man. And I don't, I hope, maybe Orloff and, and Bunting do that. We'll see if they end up, somebody's going to trade for Eric Carlson, possibly. For his sake, I hope so. Maybe it's Carolina, and that maybe changes maybe, the equation a little bit. Maybe it's Florida at the deadline, because they have all that deadline space saved yeah. up. Who knows? It's um, it's Carolina. I think New Jersey had a really nice offseason. I think getting to Foley was good. Depth defensemen, you know, yeah, they those two are probably the best regular season teams in the East, bar none. Playoffs are a different animal, but those are really two of the teams that I think did a, did a really solid job, you know. And New Jersey has room for some of their young players, you know. Obviously, Luke Hughes is going to play Nemich, you know, guys like Alex Holtz. They have more room for them to play. That's really smart for the. De- I think the contracts they signed were all really nice. So the Devils are going to be really good. Um, I think in terms of other teams that I I liked, I'm tr- like I don't think that Toronto bet wrong on the. I mean, giving three years to Ryan Reeves is insane, but you know I getting, don't know what they're gonna do. I think that here's the thing with the Maple Leafs that at this point we don't think any of those big four are getting traded. At least they haven't been yet. Maybe that can change. The Nylander negotiations are apparently dicey, but let's see. Like, they needed to, I mean, the funny part about how Florida pushed them around and how they've responded by getting Tyler Bertuzzi, who lost to the Panthers in the first round, and Max Domi and Ryan Reeves, it's it's interesting. You know, we'll see if it works. Like, I, from a pure talent perspective, Bertuzzi's really good and will fit with what they want to do. And I think Max Domi, you know, as he has said, he doesn't want to move around anymore. We'll see if that works out. Their defense is... It's shaky. But it's not, yeah. And, and like, if, if, if Bertuzzi's getting five and change for a one year deal, and then he's going to probably get six and something with term, that means Reinhardt's getting at least a million more than that. That's well, yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I think that's so like, correct. I mean, so, like, as much as, like, I think, like, what did, what did, I think Toronto tried to do 
what they needed to do, but they did it all wrong. Um, I mean, I, I don't Marner. I really like Marner as a player, but I think he's the one that trade. Uh, there are many Leafs fans who agree with you, sir. I think, you know, you try to bring Nylander back and and Matthews back, and uh, I, I don't know what they're doing bringing in Domi when they're already so far over the cap. Like they're gonna Matt Murray's gonna be disappeared, is what's going like, to happen, and they're gonna LTI so Muzzin. Why why do some teams get to do that and then still get to add at the deadline and Florida can't? I you don't know, like know how the CBA works. We got to hire somebody to, to help us yeah. figure I mean, out how the CBA works. And then with Carolina, it's like they just have endless cap space because they have no one really good enough to warrant high cap hits. And then still. Some... Maybe you've hit upon the solution to our problems there, which why Carolina doesn't win um, yeah. at, the, at the high level. Um, but I think, again, I it's when I look at the East overall, there are two teams that I can think. Or 100% say are not making the playoffs. The Flyers aren't trying. The Canadians have not yet gotten to the point where they're sick of young players getting pushed around. Those two are not making the playoffs, but everybody else in the East thinks they have a chance to make the playoffs, and that includes even a team like Columbus. Maybe, I don't know whether they, they should yeah. do that or not. But um, when you look at that, the thing about the East next year is the high end, obviously, Boston's going to drop considerably because, you know, you're never going to replicate that season. And the teams that really stunk at the bottom, you're going to get it to be a little bit more compressed. And so you look at, in the Metro, like, the the funniest thing is I was talking to some of my friends who like the Islanders, and the Sorokin contract is fantastic. And they gave seven years to Scott Mayfield and, and, uh, and uh, what's-his-face? Pierre Engvall. Thank you. That's a good sign. Yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. And I just go like, okay, I understand lowering the cap hit. It's not going to be a big deal when the cap goes up, but you, you're given seven years to those guys when the Islanders are, you know, last year they were a mid team with elite goaltending that lost in the first round, legitimately so. Signed and by now, a guy who might not be alive in seven years. I mean, that's, oh. that's you're, it's that sort of mentality of, I'm not going to be the GM that has to deal with it. So it doesn't matter because it helps me now. I don't really know what the Islanders are doing. I don't think that they make the playoffs next year. Um, I mean, I, they, if they do, it's just, I mean, it's on their goalie. I think they, they, they do a lot of things right, but like they, I don't, you, you, they hurt their future chances of getting talent uh, with, with those moves. Um, and I, I think I don't a team know. that did decently well for what they are possibly right now is Washington. I don't hate what they did. I think Pacioretty was a very worthwhile bet. You see if it works. If not, oh well. You know, you LTI him and you move on. I think that they're doing a decent job trying to be, you know, future-proof themselves when Ovi retires, but to give Ovi a chance at the record and to be a better hockey team than they were last year, I think they did a good job maneuvering there. I mean, Pittsburgh had Kyle Dubas had a very interesting day uh, on Supermarket Sweep with uh, the Jari contract. I don't know about that. The, the 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 Graves deal. I don't know. Like they still have things that they they're apparently in on Carlson too. We'll we'll have to see. But like that's the thing. Like the East has got a lot of scrunched up teams because I think about you know we don't know when Debrinket's getting moved. Like that still needs to happen. Ottawa clearly can't or shouldn't keep him. I mean they're in a tough spot. Um, 
So that's a move that still has to be made. That's going to be a contract that's going to be rich for me. I mean, like at that point, you know, is Debrinket? Would you rather have Debrinket or Reinhardt? I mean, that's kind of the question. I mean, once for... you get up to the once you get up to the kinds of goal scoring that you think Debrinket can bring, Reinhardt's scoring not all that much less than him. It's fascinating what that deal is going to look like, and Ottawa has to move it. So we will we'll we'll see on that. The thing about next year in the league is that the bad teams were so bad this past year because of obvious tanking. You know, the 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 floor of the league is going to be like 10 points better than it was. And, I mean, while the Flyers and uh, Canadians and the Easter teams that I, I obviously aren't trying, like you look out west and you go, Anaheim's still signing Mark. Good for Radko Gudis getting his bag. The Ducks are still going to be bad, but they're probably less bad. I look at the worst team in the league is probably San Jose, but they're not going to be, you know, anywhere near the level of bad that... And you look at, like, what Arizona's doing in signing actual NHL players, you know, to play. Like, they, they are going to try to be more competitive as opposed to what they've been. So that, that creates an interesting um, dynamic for me. Uh, the East is going to be a bit of a slugfest, and that's why I'm saying, like, Florida's floor being higher than, you know, it has been is probably okay, because a lot of teams' ceilings in the East aren't particularly high anymore. Tampa's is not what it used to be. You know, they've completely changed their depth, and I think they're pretty. I think they're thin. So that's where I stand on all of this. Like, we're, the next big moves are waiting for Debrinket, waiting for Carlson. I guess if John Gibson actually wants to still play for the Ducks, but I don't know who wants to trade for him. So those are really like. It felt like everyone was kind of stuck from making the big moves they wanted to make because the cap went up a mill. But it feels like, you know, that logjam at some point will break and there will be more interesting moves, but we're waiting for somebody to do it. And it might take a while for that Debrinket trade or that Carlson trade to happen because teams are tight to the cap, but also the Kachuk trade gave you evidence that you can make that trade much later in the offseason, so... We'll see, but as I said, I think Florida fits in pretty well into this because their floor is higher and you know what talent they have when they're healthy. So I don't worry about them, you know, being in the muck with teams that are clearly less talented than them, like the Ottawa's and Detroit's of the world, you know, when I know their talent is, is going to hopefully rise and they have more consistency built in because they don't have to bet in as many new faces. And the only team in that case that I kind of worry about is, is Buffalo, but like they're still like rookie sophomore walls that could be hit with that team. So it's interesting. Um, but we have a lot of time to think about it because it's the off season now. And I have some plans for some cool shows. I cross my fingers. I can make them happen. I do want everyone to listen to Yanni Puhaka uh, outfield podcast episode. Please go do that when you've got the chance. Uh, hopefully the, maybe the Panthers will make another big move and we'll have to do an emergency podcast like we did last summer. I don't know. Won't it be nice. we'll see. But either way, Lots of lots of optimism about hockey right now. I'm, I'm feel like I feel like we're in a good place here. You know, the Flyers have reasonable optimism. The Panthers have had a, a pretty decent off season. You know, I'm excited about hockey season again. I'm I'm really wanting it to return. Like you know, and the other good thing about this off season is we can go on YouTube and watch any highlights we want of the playoff run, and that is a rush of adrenaline that you can never take away. It's just it's it it feels fun to be a you know it feels fun to be in the Y hockey position right now like you're optimistic about both teams we follow for all the right reasons and that's that's good that's what we like so yep 
ready for training camp. I've got. Oh, oh, you want to hear me call Atlantic City FC soccer games? Uh, you're going to miss the one I'm calling tonight, Thursday, when we're recording this, but not Saturday, so you can listen to that. Google it, you'll find it, uh, if Google still works. Until then, of course, good night and good hockey.